Welcome to A Love Like This. I'm Abby, I'm Paige, and we're so glad that you're here. We all face problems, both big and small, but having faith shines a whole new light on finding the right solutions. As we sit down each week with some incredible guests, our hope is that you would be encouraged to take heart in the troubles of the world and to put faith over everything. This episode of A Love Like This is brought to you by The Friendship Centre. The Friendship Centre offers genuine and caring counselling support to people from all walks of life. If you need support or just want someone to talk to, particularly with the same Christian values as you, visit friendship-centre.com or call our incredible friend Maria on 0426 282 214. Stick around to learn more. Maria Serena is one of our dearest and nearest friends and also happens to be the founder of the Friendship Centre. This is just a quick disclaimer that this episode is quite a heavy one. The twins and Maria discuss topics of suicide, abuse, drugs and domestic violence. If you're sensitive to these topics, please feel free to stop by next week. However, in light of this, Maria has an incredible story on how Jesus is seen not only as her friend, but truly her saviour. Jesus saved her life, it's that simple. We want you all to listen to this incredible story because we know that you will find inspiration within it. Maria is a qualified counsellor and God is our witness, one of the greatest inspirations we know. So we ask our guests all this question. Um, So can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you're doing? Thank you for having me, guys. Um, We've already been speaking a while, so we've been quite comfortable, but... How far back do you want me to go? Do you want me to tell you about? Oh my gosh, okay, because I'm 45 years old. The next question is the is the faith journey question. Okay, so so maybe just career wise. Okay, so um, I'm a mum. I have uh, we're a blend. So there's six boys all together, and they range in ages from nine to 25. And um, I live with my husband, and we live in a very nice area, blessed. And I'm a counsellor. But I've got my degree in social psychology and social so I did that years ago. But then I just wanted to be able to help um, and do something different with the spare time I was having, although it's very hard to think that you could have some spare time. But I've always just wanted to be able to give. I was actually on the drive here. I was thinking about when I first became a Christian, where that desire came from. So I can, I can share that later on. Yeah, wow. It's That's a little bit about me. It's funny. I was telling Mia, she's like, is, is Maria going to walk here? I'm like, I don't know. She walks and prays for this neighbourhood, so probably. <laughs> I haven't done that for a little while, but the I have been sitting on my front porch because, you know, yeah. um, the COVID thing and then but then we did a bike riding thing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a beautiful thing to do. Yeah, I love that. Okay, well, that leads us into the next question. So what was the start of your faith journey for you? Because I think you've told me like little like bits and pieces of I've it. I've told everybody little bursts because my story isn't one for the faint of heart. It's actually quite, mm. you know, uh, for some people, you know, really in your face. So And it was a hard place Yeah, because I got brought up in a home where my father was not a Christian and my mum was a Christian. And so we would go to church with mum and dad would stay home. And so I grew up in that environment. But I didn't become a Christian until I got myself in a lot of trouble. And um, because, you know, we can identify Jesus you know, the kind, philosophical person that has all these beautiful words that makes us feel good. Um, but then there's Jesus the Savior, and that actually means that he needs to actually save you from something. Mm. So that's a totally different relationship. So when you meet some Christians that are a little different to you, a little bit more on fire, it's because they've actually had an encounter with Jesus the Savior. Yeah. 
And he's totally different to Jesus, the teacher, or Jesus, the kind guy, or Jesus, the baby, or Jesus, the carpenter. Jesus, the saviour, is a totally different identity because he actually appears usually mm. at the point of death. So that's how my story started. So I had got myself into a lot of trouble as a young person, um, and it was never deliberate. Like, I don't ever remember thinking, oh, I'm going to make, you know, mm-hmm. cause trouble. But I did trust the wrong people. And, you know, people did take advantage um, of me. And then I felt very weighed down um, by sin. And um, I felt I was very young. And I thought, you know what, I can't, I can't do this. I'm going to end my life. And um, I planned it. And I was ready to do it. So there's a couple of phases, you know, and especially with what I'm doing now, when people do have dark thoughts, everyone has a dark thought, okay? So there's no one out there that has never had a dark thought. And so then there's a dark thought and then there's a plan and then there's the attempt. So usually they're the three things that you look at. So you ask a person, have any dark thoughts? And if they say yes, and then you say, okay, have you got a plan? And if they say yes, then you say, okay, has there been an attempt? Um, and so that's, you know, I was already at attempt. So, and that didn't have any sort of self-harm. But when I think about it, there was like self-harm, like an emotional self-harm. And so I remember the day that I, I planned to do it, um, I was about 21 years old and I'm about six years um, older than my brother. And my brother always used to just open my bedroom door to say goodnight, you know, goodnight, and everyone would do that. But the last person that would come through my door would be my dad and he would check that the house was safe and he opened the door to say goodnight. But I was asleep in fully dressed because I was going to jump out my window and I was going to run out the back and there was a bridge and the M4 was right underneath the um, Archibald Lane in, in Minchinbury and I thought that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just jump. It's a Thursday night and there's a lot of traffic. So, And I remember that feeling just before that. It was sort of like a grief, like I was grieving for myself because it was just my dad to still come through and I knew that once that would happen that that, would, that was going to be it. I know. And so, and I was fully dressed. And so my dad opened the door and um, he said, good night, like he always did. And then he closed the door and I thought, okay, it's time to go. But I remember like this grieving for myself and grieving for my family, but not to the level that I can can understand now. And then in that moment, I remember feeling, God, you know, help me. Like how, how can I be feeling like this? Um, And in that moment, uh, something amazing happened. And I've never even seen CGI that would even compute what happened in my room that day. But I felt and I saw, but I don't know if it was physical, but I definitely mm-hmm. felt it, a light in my room, um, a warmth in my room that actually I felt many years later when my son Josh was born, when I held him, it was a warmth that was different to any other warmth you would feel. And that was the closest to that warmth that I felt that night. And um, I felt a hand a physical hand touched my face and I fell asleep. <laughs> I know. I fell asleep. I slept through my suicide attempt. <laughs> oh, my god! I know. And I woke up the next day and I'm like, what, what, has, ha- happened? what has happened? Yeah. And I walked into the kitchen and my brother's having breakfast and he's got, did you get to sleep in your clothes? You're a pig. <laughs> because I was wearing that clothes from the night before and I'm looking around feeling so how, what happened? What happened? And... Um, I knew what happened, you know, and um, it was it was the Lord, and He's literally in my bedroom, in, in little, you know, in Minchinbury, in my little, right there, because I actually cried out to Him, and I cried out to Him like in death, like I almost like picturing myself like in a coffin, dead, 
because I couldn't live with the weight of my sins. And um, and I, I could, strangely, I couldn't live with what other I had allowed other people to do to me too. So it wasn't just what I did. It was this weight that was just too big to bear. And my parents never saw any sadness. So um, a lot of people say, oh, how could you not see signs? Yeah. How can that? And I, I 100% know how, you know, because it was actually that morning that I thought about it. That morning I thought that this is what I'm going to do. So I hadn't even thought the day before, yeah. you know. And so if my mum and everyone had gone to work and done their stuff, they just wouldn't have any idea. And so it, it is quite possible. But in that time when I woke up, I felt, I actually felt, Embarrassed, really embarrassed because I had thought of ending my life. And it was like a, I felt I was shocked that that had been, I, I felt like I got sedated. Uh, so, and that's what happened. And I changed completely. I totally changed um, into being a different person. And so at that time, actually, I was dating um, my ex-husband and, um, you know, we weren't living a life that was glorifying to God. And I remember because I really wasn't, a Christian until this moment, yeah. um, I had come to know the Lord in this moment. Mm-hmm. And then so he saw a different me too. So mm-hmm. I, I changed. And so then it wasn't just two unbelievers together. There was a believer and an unbeliever together. And the journey just unraveled from that point on. And, yeah, so I, I saw that I changed and he saw that I changed. And uh, I couldn't get enough of God. Like I just couldn't. I I. I can't explain it, but he, he was my, my saviour. So if you honestly, like he saved me from death, and if you watch even those war movies when someone sacrificially dies for someone else and they're like, you know, look after my family, you know, yeah. they're like, yeah, they're all in because your life becomes forfeit. You yeah. actually live a life in complete devotion because you know that you would have died had not this person stepped in. So it's not even an act of kindness. Like I literally would be dead. So my life was gone and I was now a purchased and I really believed it and I lived it. So mm-hmm. I started to want to live you know, a life that was a blessing to God and it started meaning that there was going to be lots of sacrifices. And I was very young and um, my relationship I tried to take with me and it was just a no from the Lord. And there was a lot of arguing with the Lord about that, but I understand now a lot of what was happening as well. But um, I, became, I got baptised soon after that. Um, I remember... Going into the water, my brother got baptized that day too, and I don't know if you you guys didn't go through that horror. I went to your baptism. Oh, yeah, we had to wear these really ugly white robes, and I'm like, how many people have worn this? Nobody knows. Really old. It was like a almost like a christening outfit. Wow. That's what it looks like on the show. Yeah. yeah, and then it was just really old and just really. It was just anyway, um, and it was in a church. It was a totally different um, setup. But I remember when I went in. And I remember that as I'm talking, he's talking to me on this side, I can see um, my ex-husband, who was at the time, you know, like my fiancé, looking at me. And then as I go into the water and then come out, and he's, again, the first person I lay eyes on. It was like he's literally seen me die and he's literally seen me, you know, in front of him. Um, It was very a, a bizarre moment. But it was really at that moment that God was like, you know, you are not be in this role and I decided to not listen and do things my way and talk about where that ship went but that's my story I don't know if you want to unpack that anymore because it is like I said not for the faint of heart we just wanted to take a quick moment to thank the sponsor of this episode the friendship center 
For five years, the Friendship Centre has been providing self-funded counselling support to Christians and non-Christians alike. Finding a counsellor who is there when you need them, for as often as you need them, and with the same faith values as you, can be a challenge. The Friendship Centre offers both free and paid counselling services in person or over the phone to people all around Australia. With 23 phone-based counsellors, they have the ability to pair you with someone who genuinely cares about you. Maria Serena founded the Friendship Centre with the hope of providing passionate and genuine mental health support to those in our local community. Our family has personally used the Friendship Centre services and after every interaction we feel lighter, more loving and full of life. What sets the Friendship Centre apart from so many other mental health support services is that if you find your roots in faith, their counsellors cater their sessions to embed scripture and truth to help you not only feel better, but live better. Make sure to visit friendship-centre.com or call Maria on 0426 282 214 to learn more. Enjoy the rest of this incredible conversation. I mean, there is so much to un like just to unpack. I love what you said though about um, seeing Jesus in in those two different lights. Like, there's Jesus the Savior, and then there's Jesus like the friend. And I don't think it's because I was never like in a really bad place like that. And obviously, I look at Jesus like he was my Savior because of everything that he saved me from. Um, but I think, oh, I forget who said it. They said that a good way to look at it is like, okay, maybe you don't have this crazy testimony where Jesus like saved you from a near-death experience but he saved you from so much of what could have happened that could have possibly led to that and that's sort of how I see it so first off I love what you said about that but I had no idea because I heard the snippets from after with the I try not to give too much to people because I know that it's a really fragile story yeah and and a lot of people it's too much and I actually had a friend of mine many many years ago say and she actually, well, she didn't cut her friendship with me, but she did pull away from me. Mm-hmm. And she, and I asked her years later, and she said, because your story is just, it was just too, too much for me. Like mm-hmm. it was just too, it, she couldn't, it just, it was too hard because mm-hmm. it is. And who else can, who can you find that's going to compare or understand that? Like, I mean, in one moment, I could, you know, there was like a physical feeling and then it's an emotional feeling and then there's a literal light and then a literal like sedation and a literal not, dying yeah. um, and all of these things happening in one moment but yeah and for some people it is too much so I'm always really conscious of what I tell people so only my yeah. big boys only really just know now um, because you know they needed to get to a certain age to be able to stomach it yeah. um, and when I did tell my story um, to my boys you know it was a, a hard you know they wanted they had this protective instinct as yeah. well you know but um, I need them to see that you know, I'm, I'm a sinner and then I needed to be saved and like you said you don't have to have a great big just hearing someone else's testimony is enough for you to put your hand yeah. up like seriously that's <laughs> so like, we true. don't need to like that's my experience yeah. so I heard someone say something to me once that just changed my life or made me make a decision for Jesus and people are not seeing that as of value like that's yeah, literally that the reason so, that's so true that's the truth that it's absolutely the truth so if you saw someone nearly drowning and you heard the lifeguard say you need to wear this kind of, you know, life vest, and you'd be running to buy that life vest. Mm-hmm. But you're not running to buy it because you nearly drowned because you saw someone else nearly die right in front of you. Mm-hmm. You know, so when someone presents that to you and you hear a testimony that is different to others, that, that's what you're looking at. Like just based on that, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make a decision because yeah. I cannot 
logically make reason for that or understand that. And that's enough for me. Is that what led you to want to do counselling now? Yes and no. I think that I've always had that in me because mm-hmm. the journey at the beginning was really finding out exactly what had happened mm-hmm. and trying to do a lot of research. So I did, you know, go to Bible school and I studied and um, because things unraveled for me too. So here I am running two, I'm running a race. I'm running two races, mm-hmm. the one getting closer to God and the other one trying to stay with my godless fiancé. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to fight on two fronts and um, everything I'm learning, I'm using to be able to convince him that Jesus is God, right? And so it's not, it's not working and I'm struggling, really, really struggling. And I think about it, you need to be able to stop and focus on one thing and get that done and then, then go and do the other. But I needed, I wanted them to run parallel. I loved him very, very much. And it was very, very hard for me to know that God was telling me, you need, you need to give him to me. You need, you need to because I, I know where this is going and I want to spare you this pain. And I'm like, no, 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 you know, I, I could change him. I'm going to convince him it's okay. And it, it didn't matter how much I fought for him and I would cry for him and I would fast for him. And I would remember even waking up in the middle of the night, you know, when you wake up in the middle and cry out to God, God, please save him. Like that was even in my, my subconscious because there's three levels of the mind. You want to talk about the mind, but, you know, in your subconscious, so it was even in my subconscious constantly thinking about his salvation. So every waking moment was about telling God, please, please just do this, please. This is, I, I, can't, I can't lose this person. And it was really hard, but so I'm, I'm learning a lot and then things are spiralling over here and in that spiral we, you know, we get married and it's just you know, a disaster. And, but God somehow was in it as well because things started to unravel. My parents spoke to me and strangely my father too, about how wrong this decision was going to be for me because, you know, he was from a different background. He was from a Muslim family and we're different and it's true. It's not being racist or prejudiced. Yeah. It's literally we're totally different. Yeah. And um, so I started to, you know, fight harder. So I started to actually rebel against my parents where I would, you know, go and get in his car and run off and all sorts of stuff because I was so – but I'm thinking my motive is to save him. Like, you guys don't understand what I'm doing. Like that's why I'm jumping out of my window. That's why because I'm trying to save him, right? And so no one could get what I was trying to do and it's unravelling. I'm just a young girl and so I love him. And I just couldn't handle the idea of my life just not having like him in it. And so, you know, he had taught me how to drive. It, you know, we cooked together. We were best friends. It was just, you know, it, it was hard, really hard. But, you know, we started to live a life that just wasn't, glorifying God and we're destroying each other and you know there was drugs and not well not for me drugs was never fun to do on your own when it was it's fun to see other people because it's funny but yeah. I know it's not good but when someone starts doing it on their own there's a problem and that's what started so the closer I got to God the more drugs he started to take you know and then uh, there was other stuff happening so then it became abusive and then it, there became there was violence and here I am trying to constantly just throw God at him, and he's just fighting me with everything. And, again, I'm thinking, why are you fighting me? And this is what I'm doing. And I'm like, God, what's happening? My parents are against me. What, what is going on here? And it was just unraveling for me. And so um, in that I took off with him, and then I had never stayed out the night with him ever before. Um, um, and it's not to say that we weren't intimate because we had broken all those rules. Trust me, we do, like, I've just been honest. Like I've t- my sons all know there's no secret to that. And so um, but I'd never stayed out with him and then I stayed out with him and then I was 
like, how do I fix this? And then he said, well, we'll just have to get married. And that was on a Monday. And he actually, to me, it was almost like a mini kidnapping because on the, he, I remember I went with him and I said, I've had this huge hot fight with my mum and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. He goes, that's it, I had enough. You're not going back home. And I just felt, oh, yes, he's coming to save the day. Like he's coming around. Totally different. But his agenda was totally different to mine at that stage. Um, and that's what happened. So on the Monday, we went back to my parents and he said, well, um, we're going to get married. And um, he went to his family and he had everything organised. I thought, oh, my gosh, maybe this is from God. Like why else would he be doing this? Like all of a sudden he's making, you know, all of this stuff happening. How is this not from God? And I'm like going along with it. And then um, I remember, uh, and it's so, it's so sad actually because when my dad, I said, he goes, okay, you want to do this? And I went to get my stuff and I came and I saw my dad sitting at the bottom of the stairs just with his hands, his head in his hands and not saying anything as I walked out. And I just thought, oh, I've just broken my dad's heart. But I'm getting married and, like, you know, so like a kid, just really thinking like a kid and um, I still think of that. I can still see that image, you know, that of what I did that day and really what I did to God the Father that day, like that he was at the bottom of the stairs with his head in his hands because mm. he's not going to intercede. He's going to tell me, don't do this, this is bad for you, but he's not going to grab me. Yeah. He doesn't do it. And I just felt it was God the Father saying, oh, I know what's coming, yeah. I know what's coming. Anyway, so we got married and we, we did it. He said, well, the only way we can do this really quick is to do it the Muslim way because to do it the Christian way, it would take one month and one day. So when you want to get married, you need to apply for it and you need to have one month and one day. But in the Muslim way, you can pretty much get married on that day, right? And so they, I thought, well, that would work because I don't want to live in sin. So let's do that. And then we'll have the Christian one afterwards. This is my thinking like just totally it was just really unbridled really unwise but I didn't have anyone again God doesn't he just tells you and then he just watches you like okay I'm I'm just gonna stand here I'll just I'll be here to catch you because I can't I've told you now now it's unraveling so can you see this situation just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and then so then um we get married and the Muslim way and I can't understand anything that's been said because it's everything has to be done in Arabic and I'm on myself, like there's all his family and it's just me. I'm thinking like, what's going on here? Um, but I thought, oh, we're getting married. So that's what always just kept running in my head because I thought, mate, this has got to be God. This has got to be God. Like how else would this be happening? And then, you know, it just started, it got worse when we started living together because fire and ice cannot be together. The Lord and just cannot happen. I remember that in my marital bedroom felt like an ice box for no reason. So we actually used to sleep in the living room on a mattress because it was so cold in that particular room. It was weird. And then I know it's just, there's all this stuff that was happening. I know it's probably a bit with everyone listening as well, but it's hard to be able to, like I said, my story is very deep and not for the faint of heart. But, um, you know, the violence started, the drugs on his part, um, you know, really, really bad. Um, and then the violence started, you know, because he's, he couldn't fight me anymore. His family were telling him, you know, she needs to be a Muslim. And he would come to me and say, look, just say that you're a Muslim. Um, you can be a Christian. I don't care. But I've got to get my parents off my back. And I'm like, I can't do that. I, I can't I can't actually do that because that's not I – can't, I can't do that. And so he, you know, was getting tormented. So the drugs got more and the violence got more. And I felt like I was – fighting God and I remember one one day I was the you know and I hope that you do put these 
a difficult story, that there was one um, we had an argument. I can't even remember what it was, but he, he hit me so badly that when I looked in the mirror, all I could see back was a black African woman looking at me. That, that, that's what was in the mirror, and it was me. But I was, I was black and blue, and my hair was everywhere. So when I looked, I could only see what I thought was like an African woman looking back at me. It was weird because, and I thought, with paint, and that's how horrific it was. And that day, I remember that I just he, he left, came back later on. I can't remember when he came back, but um, I remember actually falling on my carpet floor and just crying out to God, God, why don't you just show him, please? Just And I'm telling you, in a moment, I really, really felt like I was on grass. The carpet was like grass, like with dew, and then I could feel like a wood. Like I was, I felt like I was, my head was against you know, what I thought was the cross. And I was on the floor, on the grass and that, and that's what I felt. And then I heard God say, prepare yourself for how I'm going to show him. And I thought, okay, that can either be really good and he's not giving me anything else. Just prepare yourself. You know, I felt like at that time God is like, okay, I'm throwing you out of the ring now and I'm going to go in a fight and someone's going to get hurt and it's not going to be me. And anyway, two days later we had a massive car accident. I was actually driving and um, he grabbed a steering wheel for no reason and on the freeway and the car rolled on the freeway and we had to get cut out of the car and um, taken to hospital. I had my eye was cut open. I fractured my eye orbital. My chest was cut open um, with a necklace that I was wearing and um, it was a massive accident, massive, massive car. Yeah. And I remember that when I came to, I thought, is it raining? Because it looked like the windscreen had lots of, you know, the rain, yeah, yeah. but it was just shattered. And then I remember that when I was getting out, there was a couple that was there. I can't remember. I can't remember seeing them, but I can hear them. I still can hear them saying, don't move, don't move, don't move. And they're both working as such a wonderful team, husband and wife, helping me. Um, I'll never forget them. I'll never, ever forget them. I've never, ever heard from them again. I've never seen them or anything like that. Um, and then after that accident, we were both taken to hospital and it was like God just separated us because my parents took me home and his parents took him home because we were both injured. So God's like, okay, this is going to finish right now. And then, yeah, I know. And then it just, it, it, what he did, God just got right in there and it, it finished. And like I said, that's what happened in that, in that moment. And then I remember I had to go to the hospital, to the police station yeah. at Flemington to talk about, obviously I was going to get charged for reckless driving on whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Not that I hit any other cars, thank God. But, you know, um, when I went in there, the guy said, look, I can't tell you what happened, but I'm going to draw you what happened because a witness has told us. And he drew it on the whiteboard and I was on the, the right lane. And when he clipped the steering wheel, I had gone across the three lanes and hit the barricade. And then when I tried to fix it, it's gone back across the three lanes, rolled in the medium strip, got back up on its four wheels and was driving on the road of the traffic coming the other way and hit that barricade head on. Oh, my god! Yes. So that's what happened. That's what the witnesses told them that had happened. And he goes, I cannot believe that you're actually sitting here because it was happened on the Saturday and I was sitting there on the Monday. He goes, I can't believe that you're literally just sitting there. And I didn't know. I knew I'd had an accident. I didn't know if, uh, until I, he had put that in the whiteboard yeah. exactly how big that accident had been. And um, I remember I was shocked. And I think I just finished telling your father yeah. about what, you know, the injuries that I had from that yeah. accident. And, um, and you know, I was bruised inside and outside and I didn't know what had happened with, with my husband at that stage. 
um, it was, I couldn't, how do I, I couldn't, I was too afraid to ask my parents to call him and he was going to believe me that it was him that caused the accident because like, I was driving, right? Yeah, I was in the yeah. driver's seat, literally. Like how was I going to show anyone? God, I'm like, God, I'm literally like holding the gun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm literally holding the gun and the powder is all over me yeah. and I didn't pull this trigger. Like seriously, yeah. like who's going to believe me? Um, and, you know, it was uh, – uh, but again, because I decided to take things in my hands, God's like, okay, you're on your own here. And it was bad. Like it just like kept unraveling. And um, and so that was it. So our marriage then had ended. Mm-hmm. I had gone back home and then I had no communication with him at all. Um, I'd lost my phone in the accident and you know, that was, I think, in the year 2000, um, early 2000, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I needed to heal. Like, and I just was healing you know, body, mind and soul from what was happening and trying to gather myself. And then I get a, a phone call from him at work where I was working in Regent's Park and he said something I'd never heard him say. So when you've been with someone long enough, you, you sort of know the stuff that they say and you sort yeah, of yeah. get the lingo. <clears throat> and he, he, he said to me, um, Christ is in my world. And I thought, that's bizarre because every time I've spoken to him about Jesus, I've never called him Christ or associated that. So I thought, that's weird. Why would he say that? And he goes, no, I, you know, um, because after the car accident, I remember that I looked over to see him because my instinct was, what's happened to my husband? Like, is he dead? And I've looked over at him and he's punching himself in the face, trying to knock himself out, right? But then I start to get out of the car where that, that couple yeah. was. Anyway, so when he told me that Christ was in his world, he said, oh, can we just talk? I just want to talk to you about what happened in my experience. So here I am thinking, again, this must be God. Anyway, so he tells me that when we had the car accident that he had an encounter with Jesus where he was talking to him and he said to him, Ali, I want you to be the first person in your family that serves me. And that he said to Jesus, because Muslims believe that Jesus is like a prophet, very important. And he said, what do you mean? He goes, no, I want you to be the first of your faith to follow me. And he goes, but what, what does that mean about my, my father and my uncles and my grandfather and everyone that's died? And then Jesus just repeated, no, I want you to be the first. And he realized what that meant and he started to want to attack. It felt like he wanted to attack Jesus. Like, how could this be? Like, what are you telling me? Like everyone, everything of mine has been, it was, and so, and he's fighting to to hurt himself in that mm-hmm. moment. I'm actually watching him. I didn't realise that that's what was happening to him in that moment and that, um, you know, that's what was put to him. And then after he went, he went to a church and he knew what it was and he started to follow the Lord or what the way that he thought it. But then there was a time when, when we spoke and I thought, okay, and then we, we sort of got back together. And then that, and this is all God. So how about let's get pregnant? Yeah, so no, it wasn't planned, but that's what happened. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's. <laughs> when you think of the unraveling, like, I know, like seriously, like pull back, stay living with your mum, which is what I would say, stay living where you're safe because mm-hmm. there was a physical abuse situation going on here. Once things are settled and he's strong in the faith, then you start to do that, you know, you don't go straight back in it, which is basically I went back home, packed my stuff, and we're going to have do this, right? That's what I wanted to do. Anyway, so I felt pregnant in that. Um, but then I started to notice that the drug started again and the cycle started again. And then he told me 
um, that um, he had had that he had actually said to Jesus as well. If that's your price, like if you want me to be first, then I don't want to do it. I don't want to be. I'm not going to do it. So that was the second part to that. So he had willingly decided to walk away. So wherever he is in the world right now, he knows that Jesus is a living God. The Lord answered my prayers in revealing himself to him and he gave him an opportunity and he said no. And he walked away. And um, anyway, so I was pregnant and I had my little boy, Josh, and um, who has never ever seen him. And But the Lord put a covering over both of us um, to protect us. And I think that, you know, I have spoken to Josh about it, and although it does sound like a bad injection and a whole heap of thing, I actually think that he knows that Josh is the first one. And in him going, he, you know, it was like really sacrificial love. He knew that he couldn't be what needed to happen, and um, that's who he is. Mm-hmm. I know. So, yes, so then I went on, became a single mother, and I was a single mom for a long, long time. But I How thought... Long? Well, seven How years. So six years. Yeah, seven years. Well, it was actually seven years, and it's actually quite biblical. But in that time, I filled myself with just God, just God, and it was a flooding of God. Reading, praying, weeping, singing, and everything was just God to help me through my pregnancy. It was just God. That's all. This poor baby was com- bang, bang, bang. <laughs> that's all he had. Yeah, there yeah. was that. There was no room for anything else. Mm. It, that's he. We. That's all because I couldn't even have um, a Panadol. Or my headache, or I couldn't drink anything mm. to take away. The, I, it was raw. It was like you're going to have to go through this raw. So I, I did, and you know there was woe is me. And then until I was about eight months pregnant, and um, I remember that I had you know, lost everything in my marriage. Everything was gone, and I remember getting on my knees and I said to God, "It was my fault. It's not even Ali's fault. He didn't break any rules. I did. I went against the set, and I thought that the rules did not apply to me." and I'm sorry. And in that moment, I really felt like, you know, because you're really big <laughs> when you're pregnant. And I, I didn't care. I really got big. Like I was tipping the scales. I think about 100 kilos. So I did pregnant really good. But um, <laughs> I felt like something lift me up on my feet. And, and I was like, okay, let's go. And that was it. And um, I had to make lots of decisions. And every decision that I've made um, from the minute Josh was born, which included not having his dad's birth certificate, was a God thing, um, you know, and all the decisions from And I thought, I'm going to make good decisions. So I, I decided to get smart. I didn't want to get revenge like what people think and I didn't want to get any of that. I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to get really smart because if I get really smart, then I'll have money. And then if I've got money, then I can take care of my baby because it's just going to be me and him, which is sort of like a silent pack thing that I had to break it anyway as well. Um, I just thought I'd get smart. So I went to uni and that's how everything, you know, came to to hear the ins and outs of the story it's just, I know I know I just think it's so crazy that you live like two seconds yeah. away and I've just like I've never I've literally have never heard but imagine imagine what any of your neighbors have to be able to understand that there's not an elitist group of people that are really famous and you know the athletes and all of that which it's actually your neighbor they've got an amazing stories and when they have an, a, an encounter with the Lord um, that is what makes it different because, we, like I said to you before, we have to look at the complete opposite to the way the world works and mm-hmm. think, okay, the world likes looking at the glitz and the glamour and Hollywood and all that. Mm-hmm. So the Lord likes to look at the slums. Yeah. <laughs> he likes to look at the poor, the people in the prison, mm-hmm. the mother, you know, the single mom or the widows and the fatherless. You can actually write it down, literally exactly yeah. write down what the world thinks is awesome and worth looking at. 
right the opposite and that's exactly where God wants us which is where the friendship center is so that's that's what I wanted to do I wanted to actually um to do that I wanted to be able to reach people that were like that that's exactly what that. you're doing yeah. yeah yeah oh my goodness yeah. because we don't know how to do that we've not been taught that we're taught that people have to go to a bible school mm-hmm. or a bible seminary and I don't know where that come from (laughs) because biblically the Lord chose people and filled them with the Holy Spirit and now people are jumping through hoops. So we've got a whole heap of pastors and preachers and leaders who were not chosen by God. They chose it. They And it is a noble task. It is a good idea, but it wasn't spirit-led. So you find the men that have been targeted by God, like, you know, Billy Billy Graham, and if you look at um, Spurgeon, all of these men, uh, Wigglesworth, you know, all of these, they, they were filled by the Holy Spirit and then led to do what they needed to do. And even though they did do study, they didn't, you know, it wasn't part of, and, and there wasn't even that generational thing, like, because the father is the pastor, then the son has to be the pastor. Like, where's that come from? But even Moses didn't do that. Moses had two sons and he gave the leadership to Joshua. Like we are just so far off the mark and we've really not let the Holy Spirit work. And when we have a conversation that is completely spirit-led, it really takes you to where God wants you to be. And that's what we have lost the mark. And so... We, we don't know how to do it. We're not teaching young people how to be really spirit-led. We teach people how to follow the rules, you know. If you want to be a pastor, you want to be a worship person, you want to be this, you've got to go to this, and you've got to uh, – no. You are filled with the Spirit, and the Lord will lead you and open those doors. And, yes, there are some things that you do need some sort of qualification for, yeah. but that usually comes in as part of that. It's not your – it was never your first thought. Mm-hmm. Most people in the Bible that got any encounter with God – that wasn't their first thought. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. And so you're, you're getting a generation of kids that have got that mentality mm-hmm. and it's just so far off the mark. It really is. That's why, you know, um, there's a lot of things about the church in essence that is, you know, really disappointing as well because, mm-hmm. like, they're not spirit-led. Like, imagine a youth group, right, that on a Friday night they're like, okay, where's the list of the single mums? Let's go and bless her house. The girls look after her. The guys fix up all the stuff that needs to be done, right? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> no, but seriously, like yeah, is that, that, exactly. that's exactly what God calls us to be. Like someone yeah. needs to have that list. Okay, where's the list of all the kids that don't have a dad? All the youth group goes and has a celebration with this this, this person. What is happening? Like we are so far off the mark. We really, really that's are. That's what we, we kind of have conversations about this too, and Paige didn't mean it to sound like attacking Christians or anything like that, obviously, because we're Christians in this room. But it was, Paige said, Christianity as a whole, if we're thinking about churches, sort of formed like this religious boundaries. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think that's something that I admire so much about you too, Marie, is how just authentic your faith is. Like, and we talk about that all the time. It's so refreshing. Yeah, please. Seriously, I know that it sounds weird, but it's literally not me at all. I feel like I'm just being, just, it's like, uh, seriously, like when I look at myself, I'm I'm so flawed, and then I look at the blessings that I have, and I'm like, how did this happen? How how did this happen? And you know, the Lord has blessed me with the ability to be able to to speak, but also for people to know that there's the genuineness in there. That it's not it's literally I want people's lives transformed, and that I literally want that. That it's really not about me or my ego. That I've seen the power of what Jesus Christ can do in my life. Um, and I know what life without him looks like too. And so that's 
what I want to be able to bring. So, you know, at the Friendship Centre, that's the heart of it. The absolute mm-hmm. heart of the Friendship Centre is to be able to be a living testimony, to love everyone that we don't have. And if you actually look at my email, you know, at the bottom, it actually says that we accept all people of all faiths, of every, we have no prejudice at all. So we will take anyone. We will love you where you're at. We will not ask you to change. We will not ask you to alter anything about you. In the hour that you're with us or with any of my counsellors, they're going to be giving you the same treatment that they would be giving you know, anybody. And that in that hour that we can somehow, or I, and, you know, there's, I think there's about 12 Christian counsellors within my, but I've got amazing counsellors who aren't as well, amazing people that love other humans, that in that hour that we can really be a difference to them, that we can take them where they're at and not mm. highlight what's wrong with them but explore what's amazing about them, what makes them unique. And even if it's just that one hour for the rest of their life that they can remember that moment and that's that's the whole heart of it. These are all the things that happen um, that really take away like the, a spirit-led church and, a, you know, um, and a spirit-led church you can tell is different. I mean, it's it's not out of control. Like it's not chaos. Yeah. Like anyone can come and sing, anyone can yeah. come and dance. Yeah. But there's there's a level of free flow through that, um, where the Holy Spirit can just present itself in someone that you wouldn't have heard. Like what do you mean? What do you, how's that person that had that yeah. gem? Like yeah. you know, you've you've all of these people, um, and people matter. You know, that's what I have found in everyone that I have met. You know, there's been very few people I've met uh, people that I would classify as clinically insane but still beautiful people, really cute, lovely people. I've never, ever met, you know, um, I think real evil, you know. I think that most people are good. I think that there is a portion of people that are bad, but I've never come across personally someone that I can consider pure evil. And so it's been um, a journey and I don't ever know who the Lord's going to bring. It's always, you know, who, who, and you know, what if it is the Lord? What if it is an angel? You don't know. We had a God, we saw a homeless person one time pulling out of church. What if it was? Well, he says that. The Bible says that he does do that. The Bible does say that he does that. He says, when I was in the prison, you came and fed me. Like, Mm. Jesus, when were you in the prison? And remember that there are times that he's, it's not a shapeshifter, but he would present himself as a burning bush, yeah, you know, or literally a torch. Yeah. Like he says when I was, and he doesn't lie. Yeah. God doesn't lie. Jesus doesn't lie. So he literally was in the jail somewhere and someone came and fed him. I never saw it as a perspective in my whole life. But, like, but it's true, right? It's so true. If we're going to take the Bible at its word, completely 100% literal, then that's everything's true. Like that literally, he's literally saying not when um, – you know, a really poor person was, or you know, poor. You fed them. He literally was the poor person. Yeah. He's not no, saying that, cha- that changes it, things, <laughs> and it, it should motivate us. Like it literally, yes. because he's not saying, "Oh, you didn't." You know, when you looked after these people, but it, it was actually you. Were, it was me. I mean, I feel like we could literally talk to hours for you, but I think this is a really good wrap up question um, for your story. So, if you were to sit in front of, say, your, I'm trying to think, like twenty year old or even teenage self. What the heck would you say to her? Oh gosh, see that's that's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Mm. Because if I did tell her not mm. to go down that road, I wouldn't be where I am right now. You know, I I think I'd just speak to her heart and let her know she's going to survive. Mm. I think that that would be it because there are some regrets in there, really bad regrets. But would I take them away? I don't think so. I'm not sure that I would be the person or the mother or the wife or the servant or the counsellor that I am had I 
like changing one thing, like we've all watched Back to the Future. You change one thing, it changes everything. Mm, so true about what you said because I think we were talking with Ben about it at the end of our driveway after our walk, but how Ben was saying to you, like, if you had changed any decision that you'd make, you probably wouldn't be where you are today. And we talk about Ephesians 3.20 all the time, but it's so true. Like he, God literally does exceedingly abundantly more than you could have imagined. Like you didn't picture your life to look like that, but you are now with like a beautiful family, beautiful neighborhood, beautiful life with him because of all that. And I know what it's like to have nothing. So the material things are really just, they're superfluous when you really struggle for things. Like I had all these things that would happen to me as a blessing from God after that time when I gave it to God and I take full responsibility for the failure of my first marriage because not only that, the decision that I made to go against God was actually a deliberate decision for deciding for my son to not have a dad. What reason could I have for such deception? Like literally, my choice cost him a father. Like literally, like that's what it literally costs. And because I was not able to really see that, um, he's been paying that price. He's 20 years old. He's still paying that price. He's never seen him. Mm. He's never had that. So he's still paying that price of being a son that's never laid eyes on his father. He's still paying the price for what I did back then. It's a heavy price because that's a reason that God says not to do something. You know? mm. And there are very few things that, and there are, you know, some are a choice, but this one's like, yeah, this one's a big one. And so from personal experience, um, yeah, I just think I'd go back. And say, you know, I wonder what twenty-year-old Maria would be like talking. You know, it would be. I think, I think that I'm her, just older, and that it actually took ten years to get my life back. It, making this decision, it took ten years of my life. Do you understand? So the blessings that God had weren't taken from me; they were just delayed. So at forty-five, I really am where I should have been at thirty-five, right? Because the Bible says that God's going to do that. So had I followed God's plan and had I listened to God. And had I made a decision to not be with a man that did God, I would have been where I am right now at 35, like with regards to you know my vocation or at 35. But God allowed me to bring all of that mistake and added, so I'm 45 now, you understand? But I haven't lost it. It's still there. That, that doesn't change. We just delay it, you know. We just delay it. And our decisions delay, but they never stop it. They never stop it. So there are people that make wrong decisions as Christians. It doesn't mean it's just gone. It's just delayed. It will happen again. But there's going to be some pain in this. But it will come because God is good. So, oh, but it's powerful. But I think I would just say to her, you know what? I wish I could just almost say, I'll give you more power. <laughs> just just so that you can, you know. Um, but I remember that I would count my days by how much I cried. Like I would cry literally every single day. Like for years. Because I was so heartbroken. I was also nursing a broken heart. Because I love my husband very, very much. I was nursing a broken heart and then abandonment and rejection and then being a single mum and then all of that at the same time and then feeling I deserve this. So I, I did this, so can I really ask God to, you know? I really struggled. And then I, had to, I took full responsibility for what happened. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Maria's story is actually amazing, right? If you agree, please send us a message on Instagram at I Love Like This Podcast. I think there's so much that you all can take away from this episode. To not judge people on the views on God being their saviour. He redeems and restores. Yes, he does. He also cares deeply about every inch of our lives. We encourage you to reach out to Maria also and let her know what you thought. She's always open to hearing from everybody, always. 
We'll catch you guys next Saturday.